Howdy. The grace of God finds us. <laughs> Can we just pause for two seconds before we rush into the next thing? Your grace finds me. I'm really glad that God's grace finds you. But I got to be honest this morning. I'm really glad his grace finds me. And his grace has found me faithfully. And so I'm going to wake up tomorrow with confidence (laughs) that his grace is going to find me again. Like the lost little kid in the grocery store, I can't find who lost me. If they don't come find me, I'm toast. You don't have to work your way to find him today. You don't have to earn your way to find him today. You don't have to get your stuff together to find him today. You don't have to have the perfect marriage, the perfect kids, the perfect finances, the perfect job, the perfect life to find him. His grace finds you right in the mess that you're in today. Isn't that good news? And I know you wish everything was perfect, but here's the deal. His grace finds the people who don't have the white picket fence too. All of us regular normal people. Who are perfect but married to imperfect people. It's hard. I know you're perfect. Your half of the marriage is just perfect. For all of us normal people, isn't that good news today? His grace finds us. Like, we're not lost. We're not forgotten. Maybe nobody else knows the real mess that you feel like you're in today. His grace sees you and loves you and is chasing after you and will always on time find you. Praise God. Come on, church. Give him praise. His grace finds us. That's not what we're talking about this morning. Um, (laughs) We are working our way through the book of Acts. And this morning we're we're coming up on a passage that, uh, that made me think about Jurassic Park. So there's a new Jurassic World movie that's coming out in the beginning of the summer. That has the original cast in it. And I recently saw a picture of the original cast and thought, I'm old. <laughs> the original Jurassic Park came out 30 years ago next year. <laughs> but his grace finds you in your ancients, ancientness. Yeah. Literally, I'm like, I'm a thousand years old. And I got to thinking about that original Jurassic Park movie. And for those of you who weren't born yet, or for those of you who've lived life and have forgotten this, dinosaurs were the thing in the 90s, man. There was a sitcom with puppet dinosaurs. You remember this? They had their own. I never watched it. I don't know if it was even funny, but I'm, I'm like, how are there rubber puppet dinosaurs on primetime sitcom television? What's happened to us? Right? That was the whole land before time Rage, right? Oh, some of the ladies are like, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's my childhood. <laughs> and so I remember in the 90s when they're promoting a an action movie with dinosaurs. I was like, this is going to be the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I was very skeptical. And so when I start watching the movie and Jeff Goldblum's character is like, this is going to be a disaster. It's it's the, the the theory of chaos. You know, I'm like, yes, this is going to be a disaster, right? And so towards the beginning of the movie, um, the, the guy brings him into the little miniature movie theater, the little screening room, right? And John Hammond's up on the screen, and out pops this little really poorly done cartoon drawing of what's supposed to make us think of DNA. Do you remember this? And for no logical reason whatsoever... The DNA is the voice of Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) Dinosaurs are finger-licking good. Like, (laughs) why? And the little cartoon DNA explains how this logic is going to set up the movie. It explains that a mosquito... Took blood from a dinosaur and then got trapped in some sap. And then they've found this preserved mosquito and they've extracted 
dino blood from the mosquito and bingo dino DNA. <laughs> Do you remember this? And, <laughs> and in that moment, Jeff Goldblum is like, oh, like he physically leans forward and gets this, oh, now it all makes sense. And I remember watching it going, oh, I'm on board now. Like it just reeled me in. You mentioned DNA and the possibilities are endless. We just justified the means by which this entire franchise has come into existence. The billions of dollars that have been made on this franchise because DNA, the source code of life. And the fact is, as much we understand, what a great moment to be alive. We understand more about DNA than any generation in the history of humankind, and it still baffles us. It's still beyond comprehension. The thing about DNA is it's the, it's the reason for everything. Everything that is finds its existence in DNA. This morning we're going to talk about the DNA of Ecclesia. Like what is church? And that's not the question we typically ask or are asked. People might ask us, where do you go to church? And by that they mean a, a GPS location on Google Maps. They might ask you the domain name for your church because they want to shop online first. They might ask you, what's the age range of your church? What's the music style of your church? Is your pastor young and hip? <laughs> Sorry, no. Like, they might ask whatever questions about church when maybe the better question is, what is church? Like, what is it? And, and, and when we springboard into the whole rest of the book of Acts, right? And really kind of up to this point in the book of Acts, we're going to talk a whole lot about what the church does, what the church is supposed to do. But this morning, we're going to park in a handful of verses and talk about what the church is. Being more than doing. Because the doing must flow from the being. Does that make sense? So let's discuss some dino DNA. So I encourage you to grab your Bible this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that. Let that be our gift to you today. Uh, we'd love for you to hang on to that. And uh, every morning we hold up our Bibles and we say a creed together about what we believe this book is before we dive in. And so we invite you, if that's where you're at on your spiritual journey, to join with us in that tradition this morning. Uh, even if you're worshiping online, we encourage you, unless you're in a coffee shop, say this out loud together with us. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Turn to Acts chapter number two. If you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, that's page 857. I really didn't intend to spend a whole week on this text because, speaking of feeling old uh, with Jurassic Park, I thought, well, we just did a whole series on these verses not that long ago. And I went back and looked in my notes, and uh, we talked about this text in 2013. It was nine years ago. felt like yesterday. We did a series called Vintage Church, and so it was nostalgic as Jurassic Park might feel, this is way more nostalgic than nine years ago or 29 years ago. This is the back to the beginning of this thing called Ecclesia. This morning we're going to look at the DNA of the church in these verses. We'll read verses 42 through 47. And this is, before we pick up, let me just say this. Remember, Peter just preached the first sermon filled with the Holy Spirit, where we left off last week, if you weren't here or didn't watch online. 3,000 people in the crowd said yes to Jesus. There were people that said yes to Jesus. There were people that they said were, were either confused or had doubts. And there was people who straight up mocked. But there was 3,000 people who said yes to Jesus. And then we pick up with this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers 
and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the DNA of Ecclesia. What we're going to do is we're going to, now DNA is, is technically sort of infinite in its drawings or its picture. We're looking at the, the, the center core identity of the DNA of Ecclesia. We're going to look at eight principles this morning. Those of you who prefer when I talk with more of an outline this morning, you'll be happy. There's more of an outline this morning. There's eight principles we're going to draw out of this text. And I landed on the cheesy DNA example, but I started out, I was going to do uh, like a periodic table of elements with these things. These are the core elements of the church. That was my original idea, but it would not have been a periodic table. It would have been the timeless table of elements because these don't change with culture, setting, trends, or preferences. We believe this is what church is, and we believe it has been what church has been, and we believe that it will be what church will be until Jesus comes again. Now, this might only be seen in a remnant of Ecclesia, <laughs> but this is the true DNA of church. Number one is personal devotion. Personal devotion. As we work through the text, we see in verse number 42, they devoted themselves. I want to say a couple things about this. This word devotion is a powerful, like got teeth on it kind of word. It's this powerful word that when you look up the, the true definition of the original word, it's consistently Showing strength which prevails in spite of difficulties. To endure, to remain firm. Staying in a fixed direction. To persist. To keep on. This is the first element of the DNA of church. Is it's a, again, ecclesia. Those who gather around a cause and who are devoted to the cause. Not to personalities, not to trends, devoted to an idea in the face of difficulty. So not based on convenience or being a consumer, but based on the fundamental elements of this thing, we are devoted. It's amazing to see. So the national statistics are that in the last two years, one third of American churchgoers have left church and never plan on returning. One third. They say around another third of previous church attenders have found another church that matches their preferences better. That just doesn't sound super devoted to me. To the local assembly. Devoted. Like all in. And here's the deal is, as the view of Jesus and the view of the scriptures and the view of a godly life continues to be less and less accepted in our culture, I'm just saying we're at a moment that requires some devotion if the faith is going to persevere in our homes, in our community, in this nation, and around the world. It's going to require some devotion, some sweat equity. Some commitment. Matter of fact, it might make you a straight up weirdo. And I love the wording of this text. Every single word of every text is important. But for sure this morning, they devoted themselves. Here's the thing, y'all. 
nobody can be devoted for you. Mom, dad, we can't actually be devoted to the things of God on behalf of our kids. At some point in time, it's got to become their faith. That's the whole mission and the whole goal of godly parenting. And by the way, the American model of church where we just outsource or hire ministry by paid professionals, I can't be devoted for you. I can't be devoted for your spiritual disciplines, for your spiritual growth. It doesn't work that way. They devoted themselves. When they encountered the story of Jesus and they placed their faith in what he'd done and they received the Holy Spirit, they were changed on the inside with hearts that were personally devoted. And that actually becomes an element that I think appears in all of the elements we'll discuss in the text today. Number one is personal devotion. Number two, second element, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Christ-centered, text-driven preaching and teaching. Every element of that little phrase matters and matters a lot. Whether you dig it or think it's important or not, hang with me for a second. Christ-centered. Here's why we know that. Because the apostles just taught. We just spent an entire week on it last Sunday. What did Peter do in the first sermon ever preached to the Holy Spirit of God? He ran to the scriptures. Joel chapter 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 110. And then pointed it to Jesus. Christ-centered, text-driven preaching. Again, I think that's part of what church is. The reason we do that is I don't think we can be church if it's not centered on Jesus, driven by the scriptures. So ultimately, we don't talk about stuff from the platform or even in our own personal life to orient around ourselves. Right? Felt need preaching is the trend today. Oh, people might show up if we talk about this. The reality is, I think, here's what we need to talk about. Whatever God said. And it might not be the most trendy idea, or it might be like, oh, that was kind of academic this week, or that's not about what's going on in my life. But if we center on Jesus and let the text drive the conversation, we're always going to be in a safe zone. Right? I had somebody last week say, uh, man, we had that appeal for giving. That was great. Why don't you do that more often? I said, that was a weird moment where we did it outside of the sermon. Because if the text isn't talking about it, I'm not going to force it into the text. By God's grace, I hope. We think, the, the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said, I read my text and I make a beeline to the cross. He might not have actually said that. He's attributed with that quote, but nobody can find where he said it. And like everything the dude said got written down. So I don't know that he said it. And the fact is we need to run to more than just the cross. We need to run to the person of Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, his holy life, and now everything else and his soon return. (laughs) But to take a text and to run to Jesus is always the healthy place to begin. Christ-centered, text-driven, teaching and preaching. And by the way, this isn't just what the adults need. We believe this is true for every age group. The hope of our toddlers who hear a little story from the scriptures today is that it's the living, breathing word of God spoken through the lenses of a savior. It's also the hope for our teenagers. It's also the hope for our elementary students and everybody in between. The hope of the world is God's word through the lenses of God's grace in the person of Jesus. Amen. Because apart from that, we will end up talking about what's only important to us. Or worse, we'll end up with this behavior modification, this moralistic legalism, where we just get up and tell everybody how to behave. Let's run to Jesus and let the text do the preaching. But I think this is important because Christ-centered, text-driven preaching requires devotion on all of our parts. I love that in this portion of the text, the word teaching is used as opposed to the word preaching, because I think we misunderstand preaching. What Peter had just finished doing in the verses prior to this was preaching. But I love that the word teaching is used because it redefines our roles together in our corporate gatherings. 
Because we've come to believe that teaching means I play the role of talker and you play the role of listener. And I believe that's a misunderstanding of the roles played in Ecclesia. The fact is, if someone is playing the role of teacher, then that means there's the role of student. You have a responsibility to engage with the material taught. So the the weight of responsibility in Christ-centered, text-driven preaching is shared by us all. Amen. You have as much of a job. You might not put as many hours into it as I do on Sunday. But your job's no less important than mine right now. Because if you don't choose to engage with Jesus in his word and then say, God, make me different when I walk out, then you've not done your job in ecclesia as a student. Right? We all have a role to play here. Which requires devotion. And can I just say this? We've come to define preaching in the modern church by whether or not it's entertaining. Is the guy funny? And here's the deal. I I think laughter is a great gift from the Holy Spirit. But on the Sundays when you don't laugh at me, if we're faithful to the text, it was still a win. Ooh, there was an illustration that made me cry. Great. But if not, and we were faithful to the text and made much of Jesus, that's how we will define a win and a loss in this room. By God's grace. Amen. Thank you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Third element in the DNA of Ecclesia is authentic community. I told you every word matters, including the word the. They did not devote themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, meaning there's a kind of fellowship that church does that's different than any other social club, organization, or fan club that exists in the culture. It's not strange that they started gathering together to fellowship That's all they did back then. They didn't go watch TV. They didn't surf on their phones. I know. Can you fathom? They sat together and talked story. By the way, which is what most of the world still does. These are the days of front porch sitting. Talking with your neighbors and drinking sweet tea. Okay, they didn't have sweet tea. Like, they are used to being in community. But all of a sudden, in this new thing called Ecclesia, there's a new kind of the fellowship. Right? Old people always add the to everything. I gotta go down to the Walmart. Right? Like, this is the fellowship. It's this distinct, different than the world, different than the culture thing. Skip down a couple verses to verse number 44. Here's what it looked like. All who believed, believed in what? Believed that your grace finds me. All who believed were together. Man, I love that word. They were together and had all things in common. No way. There's no way that they had all things in common. They all have the favorite, same favorite color. No, they all like the same flavor of hummus or whatever. No, or pita or I don't know. I don't think they had unimportant things in common. When it says they had all things in common, I believe what that means is they had everything in common that matters. They might have had different opinions about Rome. They might have had different opinions about the military. They might have had different opinions about Caesar. They might have had different jobs and different education levels and different backgrounds and different color skin. But they had this in common. We believe in Jesus. And that makes us, with any of our other lesser differences, together. The language of together is all 
over the scriptures. It's all over the New Testament and good gracious. It is all over the book of Acts. We'll see. They met together, prayed together, ate together, consulted together, planned together, witnessed together, encouraged each other together. They shared what they had together. They strategized together. They handled conflict together instead of running away from each other. They worked together and they stood against attack together and they endured the persecution of a world who hated them together and they endured together and they turned the world upside down together. That's the potential of together, of people who believe the same thing, who perceive the same Holy Spirit, who are devoted to the same message together. And that's not just in the book of Acts. When these people who lived the book of Acts wrote the rest of the New Testament, they talked about the together verb. They talked about what God had done to bring them together. There's language like he put us together. We are joined together, built together. We are members together. We are heirs together. We are fitted together. We are held together. And one day, gloriously soon, we will be caught up together. We will spend eternity together because God's mission on planet earth is to take aliens and exiles and bring us together. This is the language of authentic community, not surface and not fake, together. Look a a little farther down the text, verse number 46, and day by day. Notice the two things they did together. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They gathered together in big groups And in little groups, they gathered together at the big place for corporate worship and in their homes. There was both and sometimes we have this idea that the matter of fact, some people are preaching and teaching this today. Man, book of Acts launched in people's homes. It was both. It was both both the big get together and the little get together. We come together. Day by day, meaning there's a rhythm to getting together with a big group and getting together with a small group. You're like, duh, I've done that my whole church life. Why are we talking about this this morning? Because it's not just what we do. It's who church is. Gathering together in genuine, authentic community is what church is. That's why it's what we do. And we offer both of those things. We offer the Larger group where we sit together in rows and look at the back of each other's head and might learn 10 people's name. And we offer life in community groups where we sit in a circle and actually care for one another and get to know each other and talk about what God's doing in our life or not doing in our life. And we pray for each other, hold each other accountable and get to know each other's kids' names so we can pray for them. And I'm just telling you, I need all the prayer I can get for my kids. So like, come on to my community group. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. So we're launching community groups. This Wednesday night, we launched our Sunday morning uh, Bible study group this morning. Wednesday night, we'll launch the rest of our groups. And next Sunday morning, uh, Tana will launch her community group. And we're going to give you a chance at the end of the service where you can uh, scan the QR code or come see us at the Welcome Center and we'll get you connected to a group. If you don't know which one to sign up for, come talk to us. We'd love to get you connected. If you're worshiping online today, there's a link underneath this sermon where you can connect and sign up for a community group. If you don't know which one to go to, just text PrayFW94000 and say, I don't have a prayer request. I have a community group suggestion need. We'll hook you up. Because we think circles are better than rows. And we want to exist in a way. And here's the thing. Some of you are introverts, and that sounds miserable. Thank goodness we started off with personal devotion. Whew. This would be rough if we were all introverts, right? But thank goodness we've already dealt with our personality types. We've already laid those aside saying, no, I'm committed to something beyond my wishes and my whims and what comes easy to me. I'm devoted in the face of persecution, we're just asking you to get outside your comfort zone a little bit. No persecution. I promise you, I, I don't think anybody's going to get persecuted in the community group. I mean, we might pick on you a little bit. But, you know, except for Stephen Kitchens, having to be in his group is persecution. But that's another story. 
I, I want to say this super quick. So the fellowship, really quick. Uh, I believe there's a picture. It's not explicitly said here. It's implicitly uh, drawn here. I believe that the fellowship is being represented here through the baptism that we just read about a couple verses earlier. We are not physically baptized into Jesus. When we are saved, we are spiritually baptized into Jesus. When we are baptized, we are physically baptized into the body. We are actually baptized into a community of fellowship. And so I believe the picture of baptism is implicit in this idea of the fellowship. It's the thing that brings us all together. i got to keep moving. Number four element of our DNA is the Lord's Supper. Here we see another the. To the breaking of bread. Now we just mentioned breaking of bread in verse 46 without a the in front of it. I'm in the camp of... Of the theologians who think there's two different kinds of bread breaking taking place in this passage. There's regular old breaking of bread, meaning we had groceries together. We sat around the table and ate chips and salsa. Had a church launched in Fort Worth. And then there's the breaking of bread, which I believe is a reference to the breaking of bread as Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed. A picture of the broken body and then the cup, the shed blood of Jesus. It's the taking of the Lord's Supper. And we won't spend much time here. I'll simply say this. We call these, baptism and the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, the church ordinances. We do not call them sacraments, which might be different than the faith system that you grew up in. We call them ordinances because they were ordained by Jesus. He got baptized and he broke bread. He ordained it. The word sacrament means means of grace, meaning when I take communion, I get extra grace. Or when I get baptized, I get extra grace or extra access to the favor of God. And we don't believe that's biblical teaching. So Christ-centered, text-driven preaching and teaching teaches us that baptism is symbolic of the means of grace. Jesus. It's all him. Right? And when we take communion, we remember The means of grace. It's Jesus. He's the means of grace. Make sense? But in the fundamental elements, the DNA of church is that we would take communion. Which is why a lot of denominations take communion every Sunday because they believe it's so much the DNA. The reason we don't is we've chosen to make a bigger deal about Communion a handful of times a year than to ever let it become ritual or just tradition or going through the motions. And maybe when I'm an old man, I'll regret that we do it this way because I don't think one way is right and another way is wrong. We just choose to make a bigger deal about it. And the next time we will do that together is Good Friday. Hallelujah, we get to come together on Good Friday and remember the broken body and shed blood of the Son of God. And we don't do that because it's a cool thing to do on Good Friday. We do that because that's our DNA. Number five, and the, again, prayers. Fifth element of our DNA is faithful prayers. I love that it's plural because he could have said they devoted themselves to prayer. And it could be like, yeah, before the food or on Sunday. And I love that it's this ongoing What's implied in that text is this ongoing, progressive, constant. It's, it's, it's the language of the Apostle Paul that we would pray without ceasing. I'm so grateful for godly people throughout my spiritual journey that faithfully prayed for a busted up dude like me. And I can't fathom where I'd be without that. The DNA of church is that we believe in the power of prayer. Somebody say amen. We believe that And we don't understand how or why that prayer moves the heart of God. I mean, I can't even explain that sentence to you, y'all. By the way, which is why community groups matter. Because if you're sitting in a row behind somebody, you don't probably have any idea how to really pray for them. But I believe part of their hope for surviving the mess they're in is that God's people would lift them up before the throne and pray for God's favor to rest on them. Somebody say amen. Amen.
Because I don't know where I'd be without it, I don't know where you'd be without it either. So let's pray for one another. Part of the reason that some people are like, I don't want to go to a community group because people talk about their struggles. Ugh. Literally, could we look more like Jesus than to sit down and go, how really are you? Can I pray for that? Like, y'all, that's that's where it's real. So if you go to a community group and you're like, I'm fine, you will get a, a, a brown star instead of a gold star. We'll still give you a star because you showed up. It'll be brown. I don't know where that came from. Consistent, faithful prayers, the prayers of God's people. Number six is next, and uh, it's passionate worship, and we see it in the language of the next verse, and awe. Oh, that word awe is just awesome, literally. Awe came upon every soul. And, and they're, they're watching many signs and wonders being done. I told you every word of this matters. Through the apostles. Not by the apostles. The awe was not in these fishermen. We did not stand in awe of them. We stood in awe of the God who was doing amazing things through them. All. All did not fall on their brains. fell on their souls. I just love that. Like from the inside, God's stirring up affection for his glory. And I think part of what that looked like is found in the rest of the verse that we didn't read, verse 46. When we talked about fellowship, they attended the temple together and they broke bread in their homes together, right? Look at this. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Their hearts were glad. I believe that's worship language. And in case there's any confusion, the next verse starts off with praising God. (laughs) In case we're being too subtle. And the reason I say this is important Everything that's been talked about up to this point and everything that will be talked about from this point is under this umbrella. The Apostle Paul would come along later and say, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the part of the DNA that makes all the rest of the DNA work. The reason that we are personally devoted to things of God is not so that God will be happy with us or give us the gold star or give us the merit badge. It's because his grace finds us and we're like, "Woo! glory to God. Here's my commitment. Here's my devotion. I'm going to follow after you. The reason we're committed to text-driven, Christ-centered preaching and teaching is for the glory of God. It might not always be entertaining and it might not always scratch our itch, but it's for the glory of God. The reason we live in authentic community, even though we'd rather be guarded and not tell people our stuff, is because we want to see God glorified in us and through us. This is the driving heart of our prayers. God, may heaven come down on earth as it is in heaven. That's how much we want the manifest will of God among us. It's for the glory of God. This fundamentally drives everything else about this. And this requires personal devotion as well. To passionately worship God when we're sleepy or distracted or disinterested or unmotivated or not feeling very awe-ish. That's not a word. Don't judge me, Kelly Joe. We do that because God's glory is more important than our comfort, our safe space. And I know I say this a lot. I I genuinely ask God for an expressive awakening of worship among this church body. I thank you for responding to that some this morning. I desire that not because I want to be a part of a church that's expressive. I think as much as I can know my heart it has nothing to do with me. 
It's I want to see God glorified among us and magnified among us. And that happens when we get outside of ourselves. If a person who could not hear and could not read were to come into our congregation and only watch us worship, would they believe that we're in awe of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? Because I think that's supposed to be DNA identity stuff for the people of God. Amen. Number seven, we see sacrificial generosity. And this is where it gets a little weird and really not American at all. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions. Who does that? And belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Before you think that the early church believed in communism, every word of this language matters. They sold them their possessions and belongings. And they distributed them as they saw need. It was not taken from them and then redistributed based on the whim of a broken system. Amen. Actually, throughout the entire scripture, God promotes personal property. So anybody who's like, the early church was communistic. That's, this is not communism. This is commonism. Skip Heitzig said that. I stole that from him. It says they were together, had all things in common. What's that look like? We want to help meet each other's needs and the needs of the community around us. That's what belief in Jesus and togetherness produces. This is the difference between, and I unfortunately, I did not write down who said this, so I'm stealing. I'm, I'm really big on I try hard not to plagiarize. But I don't know who said this. I read this from someone. One pastor once said, there's a fundamental difference between a tax and a tithe. A tax is taken from us against our will or there's penalty. But in grace, we have the opportunity to tithe and then experience benefit and blessing. So we're coming up on tax season. What if the government said, you know, we've been reading the Bible lately. I agree. It would be that funny. (laughs) And we think this whole free will tithes and offerings is great. So y'all give whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. Amen. Turn it in whenever. How long do you think the government would exist the way that it does? It'd be done, right? Right? Three days. I'd give them solid three days tops. And they'd be like, we're, we're even more out of money than we were when we were spending. Okay, so, sorry. Sorry. In the system of grace, it's no longer, the, in the law, it was required or there was penalty. As a matter of fact, those of you, I know a bunch of you are reading through the Bible uh, together this year. That's awesome. It means you're reading through Exodus right now. Stick with it. They'll get that tabernacle built soon. Yes, the color of thread matters, but not for today. We'll talk about it later. In there, one of the laws was that when you take a census, you demand, this is the the language of the Old Testament, you demand a ransom from the people for God. I don't even know what that means. Sounds terrifying. But here in the New Testament, we have this privilege to give out of grace. And every single person I know who's trusted God with generosity has stories of miracles that they can't explain. In this room, you're sitting next to men and women who've said, I trusted the Lord with my tithe for 50 years And look at what he's done. 
There's people in this room who've said, you know what? I might not have as big of a house as I could, but I've helped build buildings in Ecuador to the glory of God and Nigeria to the glory of God. And yeah. There's plenty of people who would say, my finances don't make sense. The only explanation is God rewards a generous heart, which is the next thing I want us to see. Look down again to verse 46. They receive their food, not just with glad hearts, but generous hearts, because our generosity is not supposed to flow from an external demand, but from an inward motivation. Their hearts changed by the Holy Spirit were like, you're hungry? We should give you food. We met Jesus. It's just a natural flow of order. It's the reason that last week we saw anonymous gifts come to the church for hurting families in this room. I got to tell you, my favorite part of my job description is getting to play Santa Claus with your resources. It's a blast. It's the best thing. Isn't it, Monica? When we get to call family and go, there's a check up here with your name on it. It's a blast. I do it with my kids' allowance. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They don't get an allowance. Um, <laughs> generous hearts. Which is why we're going to encourage you in a couple weeks. On March the 6th. To fill out a faith promise commitment card. Those little cards that said speak Jesus that have been in the seats the last couple of weeks. They're now uh, in the seat pocket in front of you. Please don't fill those cards out yet. Don't go online and fill those out just yet. We want to talk more about it for a couple more weeks. We, we're asking you to pray about it. If you're married, talk to your spouse about it. If you don't have a joint checking account, talk to us about that. But anyways. Um, <laughs> I just thought... Um, we're asking you to pray about that. And we believe that's above our tithes. We're saying, man, this is what we want to be a part of, of what God's doing among the nations. That only comes from generous hearts. Nobody's going to require that of you. We don't follow up with you. That's why there's not a space for the name on that card. Did you notice that? We don't ask your name. Because if we have to follow up with you, then it probably didn't come from a generous heart. So we'd rather that just be between you and the Holy Spirit. If you're like me, you've probably heard of churches that, that demand W-2s from their church attenders and they make sure that they're tithing. I'll be honest with you. I'd rather go sell cars on the side than ever have to do that kind of garbage. I shouldn't have said garbage. No judgment. Every church is responsible to God to do whatever they want to do. It's between them and Jesus. March the 6th. So here's the thing about March the 6th. That is the Sunday that kicks off spring break. So if you're not going to be here for spring break, you can go ahead and fill your card out sooner than that and drop it in the offering boxes or give it to us at the the guest desk, the, the welcome center. Um, that's fine too. But I'm grateful to be a part of a generous church. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that practices generosity. If you weren't here last week, I shared a specific need. It's the first time we've shared a specific need like this in years. And the quick recap, in case you missed it, is um, $26,000 was needed to secure a piece of property in the Dominican among Haitian refugee city um, where my brother Greg and Robin are feeling God directing this next chapter of ministry for them. And I did not even close to have $26,000 worth of faith. And so I said, I'll tell you what, we'll do half of that. And maybe I'll even encourage some of my other pastor friends. Maybe their church can do the other half. We can partner together in this. I'll pray about it. Maybe. And before I ever even got serious with the Lord about it, I found out that a family in our church um, had already committed to a $10,000 gift to that. One of the first times ever in my ministry, I felt impressed with the Holy Spirit to call a church member and challenge them to give. And they prayed about it and said, yes, absolutely. And before Sunday morning, we had a $13,000 commitment. And so still, I'll confess to you, with an utter lack of faith. I mean, y'all know we didn't meet budget last year, right? Like on operating, like on paying the bills. And this is, a, and, and our faith promise missions was about 25 grand short of where it needs to be for commitments last year. 
We're going to go above and beyond all of that? I've literally white-knuckled the first six weeks of this year. Are we going to, we've tried to restore our budget so that we can restaff the way we really need to be to be a thriving church. And I've been like, yeah, we'll see if that happens. And we're above budget this morning. But that still didn't grow my faith. I got up here and said, man, let's see if we can raise another $13,000. And Sunday afternoon, Monica starts texting me updates of what's being given online. And by Tuesday, we had received $27,550 to purchase the property in the Dominican Republic. Praise God for some generosity among the people of God. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. And here's why. And this is the last element of the DNA. Because you know what church does? Speak Jesus. This community who did all of these things because she was all of these things, she had favor. That word is grace. With all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. This thing, this genuine work of grace is supposed to be contagious. The people are drawn towards it because they find life and meaning in it. And we want to speak Jesus starting in Jerusalem. Do you know where Jerusalem is? It's your breakfast table. That's where we begin to speak Jesus verses at home. By the way, if we were really doing this DNA thing, if I were preaching this any other time, I would have said global evangelism. But since speak Jesus is our theme right now, Global evangelism starts at breakfast among the people of God. Making disciples at home and in our community, which we'll talk more about in the next couple weeks. In our nation, our region, and in all the world. Let me close with this. The, you know, the goal of preaching is to share a really positive story at the end. I feel compelled to give a little bit more of a warning today. Do you know what it's called when DNA isn't what it's supposed to be? It's called a mutation. I said a few weeks ago, I I don't think we have a church attendance crisis in our culture today. I think we have a church theology crisis. And I would just amend that this morning and say, I think we have a mutated view of what we belong to. And I don't mean like in the cool X-Men superhero kind of mutants. I mean in something's off. Something's wrong. These are the elements that comprise, that make up what Ecclesia is. And we've all been welcomed into it and invited into it by His grace. His grace has found us who were orphaned and homeless and given us a home given us a family and this is what we invite one another into because we believe there's salvation in the name of Jesus